want to speak this morning just on this simple thought, when all you have is a promise, when all you have is a promise, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21, when all you have is a promise, Ephesians 3, 20, then we're going to go back over into the book of Genesis chapter 15, amen, let's pray again, Father, in the name of Jesus this morning, we ask for your help and for your anointing upon your word. Pray your name will be glorified. We pray you would encourage your people this morning. Lord, give us a fresh look of Jesus and a fresh faith in our hearts to believe your word, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would unstop our ears. Lord, that you would speak to us today. Lord, that your word would be mixed with faith. Lord, it would be profitable for us and strengthen us in our journey. So, Lord, undertake for us today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said it. Amen. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. We'll read this again. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Everyone say that. Amen. Let's read it together this morning. Powerful verses. Verse 20. Amen. Let's read it together. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. When all you have is a promise. But all you have is a promise. What happens in our lives at times when we're holding on to a promise that God has given us through his word? What happens when we get to the point where it seems as though that promise is completely dead and looks impossible? And I know it's not possible to be more than impossible, but it looks even more impossible that it can happen. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's something that you believe, something that you pray on. It was Sidney Murray that always said, are you sitting in the premises or standing on the promises? And you're holding on to the promises of God's word. You're believing God against all the odds. But what happens at times when you come to a place where that promise looks more than impossible? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I want to look at just a couple of people today who came to that place where it looked more than impossible. In Genesis chapter 15, if you turn there, Genesis chapter 15, we're reading here of the father of our faith, Abram and Sarah and their journey in life, and it is a, an amazing journey that they that they had. At the age of 75, God calls uh, Abram to leave everything. He obeys the Lord. He believes the Lord. He goes out not knowing 
where he is necessarily going, but he does know who he believes in, and he goes out believing the Lord. In verse 15, we see that the Lord uh, speaks unto Abram in a vision and says, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy great and thy exceeding great reward. Verse 2 of Genesis 15. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? The steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Verse 5, it says, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And verse 6 says, This is the promise that God had given him. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. He's got a promise. He's got a promise. He's got a promise from the throne itself. He's got a promise from the Lord. Out of your bowels, there's going to come forth that seed. Not only will Abraham be the father of many, but he's also promised a land. This is covenanted by seed and by soil. Just remember those two things. It's by seed and also by soil. We have a promise. Abraham has that promised birth in his heart by God. It's revealed to him by God himself. He holds on to that promise. And verse, uh, chapter 16, I'm going uh, far across a lot of years very quickly here, but Genesis 16 and verse 1. Remember, God's given the promise. But now in Genesis 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai, and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And it says, And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So now here we see ten years after the promise that's been given to Abram, Holding to the promises of God, believing God, knowing that God had given him his word and promised his word to Abraham. In chapter 16, it opens with this very natural assumption. Listen, time has passed. We've held on to that promise, but Abraham, now it's time. I think we should try to do something. I know we would never be like Sarah in any way. We would just always stand strong, never try to put our hand to it. But the Bible tells us that the arm of flesh is going to fail us. And so in some way, Sarah believes that God needs some type of hand or we can manipulate something when it comes to the promise that God has given us. We can make something happen by our own effort or by our own strength. And so Sarah, I know we would never be like Sarah, but if we're really honest this morning, we're all like Sarah because time's passing. Times we were on, the promises of God are yea and amen. We believe, we stand on them, we pray, we believe God for them. But now time is beginning to move on in their lives. Time's ticking, the clock's ticking, time's against us. So somehow this promise that God has given us, Sarah comes up with a wonderful idea. 
Listen, here's Hagar. She's my handmaid. She's in our household. In some way we can manipulate this. And then the blessing of God will be upon it. In chapter 16 and verse 15, it simply tells us this. And Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And then it tells us, and Abram was fourscore and six years old. He's 86. Remember, 75. It's 11 years later. He's 86 years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to hear from Abram. Now it looks as though in some way that Abram and Sarah, particularly Sarah, has come up with a great idea in order that, that God is able to bless what they've done and God will fulfill his promise and the method that they've created. How wrong we are so often that when we try to help God or manipulate God or put our hand to him to, to try and help God, God needs no help. God needs no help. And now we see not only is it impossible, but then when we put our hand to something, it becomes messy, doesn't it? When we get involved trying to do the things of God for God in our own strength, then things become particularly messy. Now they're trying in some way to make the promise happen by the means of the arm of flesh. And how many people know that when we try to operate in the arm of flesh, things become worse? Maybe you've never done that. I know God should rewrite all this and talk about how great you were, but we're all the same. When time begins to pass, when we become weary in the walk, when we're up against it, when it seems that the prayers aren't being answered, and you're saying, but I've got a promise from the Lord. I know that God has spoken to me, put it in my heart. I believe the promises of God. And sometimes it's easier in a congregation like this when we're singing the songs and praising the Lord and we're all together. But then we get home to our house and we're facing the realities and we're looking in the natural to everything that's happening around us. And it looks as though that that promise is never going to be fulfilled. Anybody been there? Would you be honest this morning? We're believing the Lord for God to break through, for God the answer. We need a miracle of God in our lives and in our home. We believe in God for certain personal things, corporately for revival, for a move of the Holy Ghost. We'll be praying and believing with Monday night revival prayer meetings. Our heart and our church was birthed for revival. And yet in the midst of it, our nation is going as fast as it can to hell. And it's shaking all around us. God's shaking the very nations. We don't know where to turn. And we're holding to a promise. Oh, we've got some promise. We're standing on that promise. We heard him Wednesday night so wonderfully from Brother Pete as, as he brought forth the plan and the purpose of God. And he brought that great verse. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end, to give you a better end, to give you hope. In the end, the Bible tells us for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. All the promises in the book are mine. There's only about three of us believe that. The Bible says in Galatians 3 and 16, Now unto Abram and his seed where the promises made, he saith not unto seed as of many, but as of one unto thy seed. That seed is Christ. And in verse 29 says these words, And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's how we know this morning that through Christ, these promises are mine this morning. And so you hold onto the promise. You quote the promise. 
You pray the promise. You stand on the promise. Or you believe in the promises of God. And so then we come to these great promises that I know in our fellowship we've been praying for and believing for. Let's talk about them. Let's quote them this morning. Because we know them well, but we really need to we really need to refresh ourselves with a promise. And 1 Peter 2 and 24, if you would turn to the promises of God this morning, they're all ours in Christ. And 1 Peter 2 and 24, this is what the Bible says. Many people are believing this promise this morning. 1 Peter 2 and 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. Here's a promise. By whose stripes ye were healed. How many are believing God this morning for that promise? How many are standing on God's word this morning? How many of you in this room have come forward at healing meetings when we've anointed you with oil and you've come forward time and time and time and time again because you believe the promise of God? You're standing in God's. This is God's word. By his stripes we are healed. That's the word of the living God this morning. How many are holding to that word? Believe in God for our sister Joanna, for we are Mira, for Paula, and so many others in this list this morning. All we have is a promise. And then time goes on. And sometimes conditions get worse. You know, I want to talk openly this morning. I don't want to hide behind anything. We want to be real this morning. We're believing God. We're praying to God. We're trusting God. We're doing everything that God tells us to do. We've called for the elders. We've anointed them with oil. We've prayed the prayer of fear. We're standing. And then sometimes the condition gets worse. Isn't that right? Is that what happens? I want to talk about real life. I don't want to live in a bubble, friends. I know the trials and the tribulations and the battles then that you're going through. And then the enemy comes and fear comes and doubt comes. And then at times you don't know where to turn. And you know his word is true. It's not that you're an unbeliever. You're a believer. You're up against the storms of doubt and fear that come. You're up against what men will say. And all the words of man. And all the opinions. But all you have is a promise. You're looking at that promise and saying, My God, Lord, you give me your word. I believe your word. But these things are getting worse. What about... Another earlier in our lives and in our church where we've been praying much, that is the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Oh, oh no. It's like the don't go there. But we're going to go there because it's in the Word of God. And we believe what's in the Bible. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Oh, I know this verse. Let's read it again. Acts 1 and 4. Being assembled together with them commanded them, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for a promise. It says, wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. This is the baptism in the Holy Ghost for every believer. Acts 2.33, this is what Peter said. Therefore, being at the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed this forth 
And what you're seeing, 120 people in an upper room, full of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, this is what you're seeing. It's the promise of the Father. Next 2.39, well, it was for the upper room. Let me tell you something, what Peter preached, Acts 2.39, says, for the promise is unto you, and it's unto your children, and to all that are afar off, that's bound the hitch, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It fell again exactly in the same way. In the house of Cornelius, they both seen and heard the Holy Ghost fall. Not only was it for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. The baptism in the Holy Ghost, all of God's a promise. When I prayed for this, I've waited for this. I've cried for this. I've wept for this. People have given me pamphlets, testimonies, books. Then people give me pamphlets, testimonies, and books against it. People give me pamphlets, testimonies, and books for it. People give me wee ideas of why I should sit in my shed. Everyone else but not me. And so we go through all the rigmarole of what man is trying to create in order as a substitute for the promise. Never sell for man's substitute for God's best. And what about household salvation? In Acts 16, it tells us that at midnight, Paul and Silas are praying, and they're singing praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. In verse 26, it says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. Immediately all the doors are open, everyone's bands are loose, and the keeper of the prison, awakening out of sleep, Seeing the prison doors open, he drew a sword and he's about to commit suicide. Just like this movie's come, there might be some pray to God that some will walk in, they're on the verge of committing suicide. And then, listen to these words. Paul cried, verse 28, with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and it sprang in, came trembling, fell down before Paul and Silas, brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And there's a comma, because there's a few more words on the sentence. And thy house. That God's quickened that promise to you. As God has quickened that promises to us, then this morning, brothers and sisters, I believe that the Lamb was slain for every house. Yeah. It was the same with Cornelius' house in Acts 11 and 16, when Peter's bringing back the report to the disciples. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. You know, this morning, friends, we know that Jesus came. He came to die for not only people, not only individuals, but he came and died and shed his blood for families. But this morning, as you're holding to that promise, it probably looks in the natural that things are getting worse rather than getting better. Perhaps this morning it's a financial trouble or, or something that we're going through. But Philippians 4 and 19 says these words, But my God shall supply. Don't forget the wee word of a mirror was here. She'll tell you that's the pastor's favorite word, all. But my God shall supply all 
Your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All I've got a promise. But things are getting worse. Perhaps as we've been praying and mentioned already, we're believing for revival. Are you believing for revival? Are we praying for revival? Are we trusting God for revival? The verse that we often quote is a verse I'm going to quote again. In 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. And our land needs healing. Our land needs healed. Our land is broken. People are broken. Homes are broken. Lives are broken. Politics is broken. Finances are broken. Society's broken. Friends, we're pouring and pumping money in by the, by the thousands, the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands, and the millions to try and lift societies out of the gutter of sin and the powers of darkness. I tell you, the only answer to lift men and women out of the gutter of sin is Jesus. The only answer for our inner cities and our towns and our estates is Jesus. Your man will try every means and methods, but yet the church, all we have, what have we got? We've got a promise. As we heard even last week and through the week about the calling of God in a life, knowing that perhaps with a birth in a, in a soul or in a heart for the calling of God and God's hand upon that vessel, to bear the name of Jesus Christ, not only to the nation, maybe someone burning for missions or across the world is in, but Lord, I believe in your word, but nothing's happening, no doors opening. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Dreams and visions and things in your heart to see God raise up and move forward in power and in glory, not just another method of man, not just another thing that man's doing, but the power of the living God through a people set ablaze. Well, it doesn't look like what's going to happen. How could this happen? How could this be, Lord? Holding on, believing. Time's ticking. Time's ticking. Anyone know time's ticking? Recently, I heard that there was a preacher saying that once you're over 60, it's over. It's true. Once you're over 60, it's over. Anybody over 60 here? I'm not, but I'm just going to join you anyway, just to encourage you. I'll put your hand up. Don't be afraid. There's one or two. Let me tell you, friend, it's only just beginning. If it's not, if it's just for the under 60s, we better get Abraham out of this. We better get Sarah out of this. We better get Moses out of this. What nonsense there is in the church today. God's not looking at your age. He's looking at your availability and your heart. That's what he looks at. He's not looking at the at the age or birth certificate or he's too old. But I tell you, friends, he's just looking for someone to say, I believe you, God. And so what do you do when you're holding to the promises? All you've got is a promise. That's all you have, but it looks as though it's more impossible now than it's ever been. You know what I'm saying? I know it can't be more impossible than impossible, but we make our own grammar here. It's, it's worse. <laughs> you understand what I mean? Now you know what I mean. You know, I think that Abraham and Sarah got to that point. Sarah said, look, it's not happening, Abraham. You love the Lord, you're walking with the Lord, it's not going to happen. Abraham, look, I just want to let you know, it's past it. It can't happen. Talked about the restraint. 
My womb is now gone. It's now dead. The change has taken place. This is impossible. Like maybe a few months ago, and this could have happened, but I want to let you know, Abram, it's impossible. It can't happen now. It can't happen. Abram, it can't. Well, listen, here's Hagar. I, I believe this in our sincerity. We want, to, we want to do what's right before the Lord. But the Lord just needs to know that we can produce this. We can make this happen. We can bring forth this little one. Just go into Hagar. Bring forth. And then everything's going to be fine. It's going to work out. Look, Abram, you're 86 years old. I'm 76. I'm 10 years behind you. I've still got a wee bit of a spring in my step. But you're 86. It's maybe time just to sort of wrap it up here. We'll try and do what God wants us to do. We'll just sail on for the rest of our days. We'll create a bit of a waiting room for heaven. And then when Jesus comes, we're all going home. Is that the way we're going out, friends? But i got a promise. What happens when we're looking at the promise? But it doesn't seem as though the promise has come into fruition. I want to tell you what we need to do. We need to take our eyes off the promise. And we need to look at the promise giver. We need to see who it is that give the promise. Because that's really important. That's really important. In Genesis 17... In Genesis 17 and verse 4, we open that chapter with these words. Now we're another 13 years on. We're going on now. Abram's 99. He's 99. And it says in verse 1 of Genesis 17, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. First of all, it happens here before God repeats the promise and makes the covenant again and reminds him of the covenant. He gets a revelation of the Lord. God appears to Abram when the promises look as though they're stale or dead or dying or it's impossible. The revelation needs to come again of who is it that made the promise? And he said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me. You get all these promises that we were talking about this morning. He said to you, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, be thou perfect. I will make my covenant between thee, me and thee, and will multiply, uh, multiply thee exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, talk, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with me, and I shall be the father of many nations. The revelation comes to Abram again. Abram. You might have done all this. Isn't God so merciful? You might have tried to create something. You might have tried to make this happen. You might have tried to put your hand to it in some way. You might have tried to make something up or a strategy in order that I would bless it. But I want to tell you, I'm the almighty God. I don't need anyone. I am the self-existing, eternal one. Before there was time, I am. I am the great and the almighty God. And I'm the one that's made the promise. And I'm the one that's going to fulfill it. In verse 15 of Genesis 17, God said unto Abram, As for Sarah thy wife, remember Sarah gets the plan together. As for Sarah thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. And I'll bless her and give thee a son also. Listen, I'll give thee a son also of her. Oh dear, what have we done? 
Yeah, I will bless her. She'll be a mother of she'll be the mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And Abram fell on his face and he laughed. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old shall she bear? What were they laughing at? You're laughing to you inside, aren't you? You imagine Sarah coming to the mother and toddlers? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live forever. And God says, Hold on a second. You're still thinking somewhere in there. It's going to be Ishmael. Let me tell you verse 19. God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. And with his seed after him, Abraham needed a revelation of the promise giver, not just the promise itself. How many need a revelation of him? Who gave the promise? Who, who gave us the promise? Who's able to keep it? And who's able to fulfill it? If you go back into Ephesians chapter 3, and these verses, I've got a bit of a detour this morning, but to set these verses up as we close, but then these verses, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul writes this word, now, now, now either means the present or now is to draw attention to a particular statement or point in a narrative. So now it's either the present time, I believe it's both in this, or is to draw attention to a particular statement. You take your promise this morning, here's what Paul says, now, can you say now? And everything that's happened in your life, everything that's happened this week, everything that's happened this month, everything that's happened this year, everything that's happened in your life over the past 10, 20, or 30 years, can you say now this morning? Now there's something important that you need to read. The first thing he does is he draws our attention to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, now unto him, this is everything. So get the promise. But now he said, take your eyes of everything of what you're looking at. And I want you to look to him this morning. Jesus is the primary subject in the verse. By him, through him, for him, under him, because of him, in him. It's all in Jesus. Under him. He wants to get our attention of all of everything that's happened. And get our focus onto him. What's the next statement? That is able to do. He's able to do it. You know he's able to do it. You know we saw he's able. He's able. I know my God is able. I know my God is able to carry me through. He's able. Look at the promise. But look to him this morning. He is able this morning. He has the power to make the impossible happen. How many people believe that? That Jesus has the power to make the impossible happen. Do you know what the world's waiting for? The impossible. Do you know they're tired with religion? They're tired of all religious acts. They're tired of all the religious games. They're tired of all the mechanics of man. They're tired of going in and going out. And people claiming this and claiming that. They're tired of the shows. They're tired of all the apparatus of man. They're tired of everything that's going on. This world is ripe for a miracle of God. With all the land signs and wonders, with all the manipulation of men, with all the acrobat within religious circles, I tell you what Ulster needs. It needs a move of the Holy Ghost. 
present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Isn't that awesome? He's able to take us and to present us faultless before the throne of God. And you know how he's going to do it? He'll do it with exceeding joy. Isn't that awesome? Who's able to do that? Well, it's my own works and I've been so good, I've been so righteous, I've lived a perfect life. I want to tell you, friends, I haven't. But I know there's one this morning that's able to get a hold of a life, change him by his great power, lift him out of the depths of sin, keep him by his power, and present him faultless. Who's able to do it? Jesus is able to do it. Hebrews 11 and verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac, Shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead? See, we're going beyond the limitations of ourselves. The supernatural power of a living God that even though he is dead, yet shall he live. The power of Almighty God. Hebrews 7 and 25 says, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Is he able to save? Is he able to save those in the depths of sin? Those gangsters that were in that Friday night in that Shankle mission? Can he save them? There are but for the grace of God go any of us in this room. Is God able to save? Let me tell you, I don't mean to offend you this morning. If he's able to save a Stephen Nixon or a Brent Porter or a Paul Aiken, he's able to save anybody. Sorry, man, I hope you're not offended. He's able to save. We bring it down today to courses, alpha courses, and all these ideas of men will just talk you through a few wee classes and at the end of it, what do you think? What was really interesting? I want to tell you something, friend. It's more than a course. It's a miracle of the new birth. It's the power of the living God. We can create all we want to do to make it acceptable. And we can fill our churches with people that have gone through every course you can imagine. But friends, unless a man's born again, and only God can do that. In 2 Timothy 1 and 12, it says this, For I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded. Who's able? He's able to keep that which have committed unto him against that day. Is God keeping you? Church, is God keeping you? Don't ever think you're keeping yourself. He's keeping us by his great power. 2 Corinthians 3 and 6. He's made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter will kill, but the Spirit gives life. He's made us those ministers of this new covenant. I don't believe just that that is people who stand on a platform. That's every one of us in that workplace, in that home, in that street. We are ministers of the new covenant, the New Testament in his blood to bring the life of Jesus Christ to a broken and a damned world. And we're up against the powers of darkness. He says, put on the whole armor of God that ye might be able. It's the power of Jesus Christ to stand against the wiles of the devil. Of Abraham, Romans 4 and 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. 
He was strong in faith. He gave the glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, here's the key, he was able to perform it. What he had promised, how many people have a promise? Let me tell you, friends, he is able to perform it. With men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Tells us in this great verse, now unto him who is able to do. And then it says, exceeding. You know, we need to really break the mindset of the church today. The exceeding. The excess, that word simply means the excess of measure. In other words, beyond the limitations. A lot of limits, isn't there? There's a lot of limits today, but we need something beyond the limitations. Psalm 78 and verse 40. And these are written for our example upon whom the ends of the world have come. It says, how oft, 78 and 40, how oft they did provoke him in the wilderness, grieve him in the desert. Yea, they turned back and tempted God. This is what it says. And they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. They limited, they limited, they limited the Holy One of Israel. He's talking to a lovely brother the other day, and he said, Son, when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. When you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Do we limit the Holy One of Israel? Paul said, I own to him that is able to do exceeding the unlimited, the infinite, the almighty God. There's no limits. How do we limit it? How do we bring a limit on through that unbelief? Through that, that measure of our tradition? Well, we've been doing it this way for 300 years. We'll keep doing it. Brothers and sisters, surely it's a day for the limits that we have put on him to be removed. I'm not talking about anything going. I'm talking about God taking the faith. When you can't see his hand, we need to trust his heart. But he says he's able to do exceeding. It doesn't stop there. And I always, I actually always uh, quote this wrong. I always, I always get, I end up putting L man on the end of everything. Exceedingly abundantly above everything. But it says exceeding abundantly above. Think about it. This is in God's word. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding. Then he says, abundantly above. Think about it. What are we asking for this morning? What are we believing for? This is the word of God. Now unto him that is able. This is Jesus. To do exceeding abundantly above. What does that word mean? Abundantly above us. An overflow. It's found in Luke 6 and 38. Give. And it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And the abundantly above is a running over. Of a running over. God wants to give it running over. Exceeding abundantly above and running over. All. Would you say the word all? What does all mean? It means the same in the Greek, the Hebrew, Chinese. Wherever you are, the word all means all. 
Does all mean all? God says what he means and means what he says. All that we think, we ask or think, because if we ask anything in his name, John 14 and verse 14, do you know what Jesus said? I will do it. It's hard for us, isn't it? The limitations already begin to kick in. Theology can kick in here. People will begin to bring other verses in to try and water the verse down. But Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. There's a very important part of this verse that I want to come to, to close off. It says, according to the power that worketh. And where does this power work? Where does it work? You still awake this morning? Where does this where does this according to the power that worketh in us? I own to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power. That word power is the miraculous power that worketh. That word worketh is energy. What does it sound like? Energy. According to the energy, or it's also translated in the King James Version to the effectual fervent power that's working in us. According to the power that's in us. According to the power that's working in us. I want to say that again. Is it according to the power in us? Or is it according to the power that worketh in us? Two different things, isn't it? I don't know about you, but if you've ever pulled out the extension lead, run it away down, you're going to do a hole in the wall. You get down there, you get the drill in, plug it in, get the right bit in, have it everything marked. You get ready, you're about to put the hole in the wall, you press the button. And that happens. There's power, but the power's not working. The power of God in our lives, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in us. The power of God that's working, it's not simply that we have power. It's not simply that we claim that we have power. But I want to ask you the question, is it working? Are we functioning in the power of the Holy Ghost? Are we full of the Holy Spirit? Are we working in the Holy Ghost? Jesus likened it to a river, energy. A river has energy, power, refreshment, force. It washes, it cleanses, it's unstoppable, and it brings life. In John 7, 37, he said, In the last and the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. He that believeth in me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow what? Rivers. Rivers of living water. But this speak here of the Spirit, which they that believe in him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. There's a power in every believer in this room. Let me ask you, is the power working? Different thing, isn't it? We can sing all day about what we have. We can sing all day about what we are. But the reality of it this morning is the power, according to the power, the energy, the river, the life, the Holy Ghost that's working in us, the power of the Spirit of the living God. James says in James 5 and verse 16, Confess your faults one to another. 
Pray one for another that ye might be healed. And then he says, the effectual fervent, that's the same word, energy. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Is there a power working? We need to go beyond dead letter prayers. We need to go beyond just repetitive prayers and praying to each other, our own ideas. But we need the power of the Holy Ghost working in our lives. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, it availeth much. Is the power working, friends? Are we, you know, it comes to the church, you have a name that you live. Remember, but you are. Everything's going, everything's working on the outward, everything's manageable, everything's going through the motions. But friends, this world is crying out for a demonstration of the kingdom of God, the power of the living God. I unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above more than we can think, all more than what we can think or ask. According to the power that's working in us. Is the power working? Is the power on? You ever heard the statement, the lights are on but nobody's home? Is the power working? Can you think of a time that there was more fire and energy and power and passion? Can you think of a time when there was more fervency in the things of God? It says in verse 21, On the hymn, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus through all the ages, word without end. Amen. Brothers and sisters, when all you have is a promise, and it looks as though it looks as though that promise is more impossible today than it's ever been. And even perhaps Brian often prays it in the prayer meeting, you hear him praying, Lord, we'll keep our filthy hands, our dirty hands off it. And maybe you put your dirty hands to it. And now it's a mess. Let me tell you something. When the promise looks more impossible than ever, we've got to look on to him. He's the one that gave it. And we need the power of God to work in our lives like never before. The energy and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Ghost, friends. I know we preach that often and preach it faithfully. But if ever before we need the power of God working in us, then this prayer can be made to a God who does exceeding abundantly above all that we think or ask. The power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's the one that gave the promise. He's the one. That's faithful to do. Faithful is he that cometh, and he will do it. Is the power on? Is the power on? Is it working? If it's not, friend, let's just get right with him this morning. And let's get filled with him afresh. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together with friend.